thanks so much for tuning into this episode of The Stone Table. My name is Mickey, and I am a worship arts coordinator here at Baylife Church. And my name is Travis, and I am the teaching pastor here at Baylife. And we are so excited to share this episode with you guys because for this interview, we went on the road. We did. We traveled to the distant land of Orlando, Florida. Orlando. We got the chance to interview our friend Reggie Kidd, who is the dean of the Cathedral Church of St. Luke in downtown Orlando. Yeah, and Reggie has become a friend of mine over the last couple years. As I've been going to school out in Orlando, every once in a while I find myself in the city on a Sunday night and the cathedral holds evening services. And so I've gotten to know Reggie and just appreciate the work that they're doing at the cathedral. And it's kind of interesting because the bishop that Reggie serves under was actually my mom's youth pastor. So there's, there's this weird sort of low family connection to the, the cathedral over there. And one of the reasons why we wanted to sit down with Reggie was to talk about this season of Advent that is coming up and talk a little bit about how it relates to something called the church calendar, this Christian way of viewing time and letting the story of Jesus shape our lives. Yeah, and Reggie does such a great job of explaining what Advent is, what it means for us as Christians, and how it ties in with the rest of the church calendar. Yeah, absolutely. And and one of the things I also appreciate about this interview is that Reggie is coming from a different background denominationally than mm-hmm. we are. So Reggie is an Episcopal priest. Baylife is not an Episcopal church, but something that you and I both are really passionate about is learning from the wisdom of Christians that are coming from different backgrounds and denominations than us and, exactly. and learning from their strengths and seeing how we can grow in maybe some of our weak areas. And I think this is a great example of that. Exactly. And we hope you enjoy this episode just as much as we did. So for Baylife Church, I'm Mickey. And I'm Travis. And this is The Stone Table. So, Reggie, thank you for being our first on-the-road interview. Thanks for going on the road. <laughs> yeah, yes. we have, we've driven all the way to sunny Orlando <laughs> to sit down with you here at the cathedral to talk about Advent. But, Reggie, just in as much as I know you, you are a man of many interests. You taught a class here, I remember, in on Van Gogh. You are a New Testament scholar with a PhD from Duke. And if I remember correctly, you're also involved in martial arts somehow, <laughs> Yeah, my son and I have practiced a Japanese samurai sword um, art for a period of time. Yes. That's so oh cool. my gosh. <laughs> so so can you can you engage in sword fighting now? Well, actually, uh that would be deadly. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is the cousin to Kendo. Kendo, you use wooden uh swords to actually actually to spar. Mm-hmm. This is Tamishi Giri, where you use razor sharp blades to cut targets and so you don't want to spar with that (laughs) that that is you might have just become the coolest person i've ever interviewed (laughs) i just wish i was any good at it my son is quite good i'm very mediocre (laughs) so how long have you been studying that how did you even get involved in well it's it's one of my it's one of my um few really good dad stories Mm. okay my youngest son i have three boys the youngest son was looking for something that he could be proficient in in athletics he discovered discovered taekwondo and he was pretty good at that and then the master of his dojo sold his dojo to you remember the karate kid yeah the evil guy mm-hmm. yeah he sold him to that guy <laughs> and <laughs> like actually that guy no the equivalent the, of that guy the moral equivalent of that guy <laughs> okay and after we saw the way this guy was treating kids for 
for for a few weeks, we just said, Randy, this is not going to work. So we're going to have to find something else. So he had one more uh, competition to go to. And he and his mom, Mrs. Kid, went to a store to get some equipment. And it turns out that the guy who owned that store had this wall of Japanese swords and gear. And my kid has been all about Godzilla Mm -hmm. and and sharp things forever. (laughs) So he was quite taken with it. So we started letting him do that. And to make a long story short, after a few weeks of my dutifully driving him back and forth to lessons, I noticed that most of the people in the class were more like my age. So on the way home one night, I turned to my son and said, hey, Randy, do you enjoy doing this as your own thing? Or would you like me to do this with you? And he just said, dad, you would do this with me? And I realized that my other kids had found proficiency in things that that I liked and I did, and he never had. So it meant a lot for him, for me to enter his world, and then for it to turn out that he was really good and I was really quite mediocre was was a really good thing for him. And this particular sensei was, he had wonderful input into my kid's life, so. Wow. That's so, so cool. That I so I didn't know all that. Yeah. I feel like I've learned so much about you in the first two minutes of this. It was a great discipline because at that time it was the one place where I wasn't the expert, mm. and it was great for my kid to see me take the the lowly, humble position of being a student and right. learn how to say yes, sir, no, sir. Mm-hmm. I'll do better next time, sir. And, yeah. Um. It. Well, it was a it was really a great experience. Wow. So let's talk a little bit about you being an expert. I mean, you are a, a PhD from Duke in early Christian origins, correct? And you're also the 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 it's dean. Called, yeah, it's called the dean. Yeah. Yeah. So you're the dean of the cathedral here at St. Luke's. How did you make this journey from studying swordplay to uh, studying early Christian origins to being kind of in charge of things here at the cathedral? Well, in the early 90s, um, I got invited to come here to Orlando to teach at Reformed Theological Seminary to teach primarily New Testament. But the president at the time, Luther Whitlock, asked me to teach the worship class. And I'd been leading worship at the Chapel Hill Bible Church before that. And so I said, sure, I'd be glad to do that. And um, to discover that Reformed theology has a pretty keen interest in wedding scripture as the guiding principle in worship Mm. and understanding as best we can what the historic practice of the church has been. So I found myself reading a lot of John Calvin and how you got up to the Reformation and then what happened after the Reformation and came to appreciate that there was this sensibility that while scripture was in charge of worship, so was paying attention to the way the church had been interpreting how you do worship. And so I found myself with a, a secondhand appreciation for the, the words of the ancient church. And then in 2001, Robert Weber asked me to start teaching for his Institute of Worship Studies that he was just founding in, um, in Jacksonville, which was a part-time job while I was still teaching at RTS. And over time, I, I, came, to, I came to see... Um, in the ancient liturgy that Robert Weber had discovered in his own studies, a, a way of bringing scripture together with 
a more informed sense of the ancient practice of the church. And then over time, I find my just found myself becoming more and more appreciative of the way word and table were brought together and the way even the word was where the center of gravity was in the reading of the text and then the unpacking of it, as well as uh, laced with rich historical prayers. And so, yeah. And the rest is history. You're an Episcopalian now. Yeah, Yeah. there we go. So I feel like a lot of people with a similar educational background as you have, a lot of people sort of find a tension between choosing between the church and the academy. So how did you bridge that gap between being a scholar and a priest? My parents are both teachers, Mm -hmm. and I always thought of myself as being a teacher. And then becoming a a born-again Christian, I found myself wrestling with the idea of ministry. Mm -hmm. So I always had these dual options in front of me. And one of my father's bits of wisdom was, there's some decisions that you're better off not forcing yourself to make too early a decision and to keep your options open until something gets closed off. And so over time, I, I kind of went back and forth between ministry and teaching. And at first, I thought I was going to go do graduate work in sociology. So I went to seminary in the first place to get some theological background for sociology. Oh, wow. And then I wound up not pursuing the sociology and then going back to seminary and getting the what I needed to to finish out the degree I needed to be in ministry. Then after being in ministry for like four years in Boca Raton, the, the academic bug bit again. Mm-hmm. And so that's when I went to Duke, did the PhD. And even then I crammed a normal three-year curriculum into eight years. <laughs> that <laughs> is the way to do right. Seminary studies. It was wonderful. <laughs> well, this the, the, okay, this was after seminary. This was the PhD. Right, yeah. And during that time, I wound up uh, becoming the pastor of worship at the Chapel Hill Bible Church, mm-hmm. which meant I took I did intentionally take a slower pace through my academic studies. And it was, it was a wonderful blend mm-hmm. to me of being uh, solidly grounded in and immersed in a church's life mm-hmm. and really enjoying the, the, the studies. And I was all the way, uh, all through, open to more pastoral or more academic. And then I got called to RTS. And and really, the classroom was as much uh, a place to do pastoral ministry as it was to impart information. I feel like I can always tell a difference between people who are in seminary full-time and people who are studying theology and serving a local church. Because it's so, it is so different being able to pass a test on a doctrine as opposed to actually bringing it to bear on a human being. My first two years of seminary, I was I was in a hurry to get through because I, I was going after an MA so I could go on and do the, the the doctoral work in sociology. So I was taking overloads and and I I I actually feel like I did damage to my spirit. Mm. soul during that time because it was cramming in more information than my heart could process Mm. and it was at the expense of people time and so so then the second round when I went back to finish out the MDiv requirements to go into ministry I took a more reduced schedule I was married and um, was more involved in church more involved in people's lives and it gave my 
brain and my heart more of an opportunity to connect over the things that I was learning in class. And I actually, I enjoyed the material a lot more because I was getting a chance to ruminate over it and really try to apply it in my life. And it made a big difference. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can, I can attest for me going, I'm on like the 15 year track for an MDiv, (laughs) but it's been really helpful. Uh, The, the semesters I've done more classes are the ones that I remember the least from. Yeah. Whereas taking one or two classes a semester and and trying to just serve people well with what I'm learning has been really, really fruitful. Well, gl- I'm glad to hear it. So one of the distinctives of the Episcopal Church is that you follow the Christian, uh, the church calendar. And so we're coming up on the season of Advent, which is the whole reason why we wanted to have a conversation with you about it. And the word Advent gets thrown around Um for example, Magnolia and Target, the the hearth and hand, they sell like Advent calendars and the wreaths. Starbucks does it too, I think. Yeah, but that's just something that we hear a lot, but not everybody knows what it means. So can you explain to our listeners what Advent is? Well, okay, Advent is a Latin um, rendering of the Greek word parousia, which means presence or coming. And uh, Advent is a season in which people prepare themselves for the coming of Christ at Christmas. So with that, um, it's, it, I guess, culturally, like the, the Christmas season is all of December. Actually, mm-hmm. I mean, like, gosh, we were, we were in Asheville in October and they were putting Christmas decorations mm-hmm. up. So Christmas is honestly like the months leading up to Christmas in our culture. Right. But I guess the, in the Christian calendar, Advent is distinct from Christmas. So what makes it sort of distinctive? Well, it is is not the time when you actually celebrate the birth. It's when you prepare your heart to receive once again the newness and the wonder of what that birth is. And historically, it's a little hard to track down precisely the roots of the emergence of Advent, but over time it's it's gravitated towards focusing on in the first place the second coming of Christ in which our our longings for all injustice and all of wrong to be to be satisfied and for God to make everything right for which the trigger is the first coming of Christ to be our sin bearer and to begin the the inauguration of the kingdom of God on earth in anticipation of the final return so it's a time to it's a time to look forward to the second coming and, and and to express the longings of our hearts for all that is wrong within us to be taken care of as well as all that's wrong in the world. So it's a time of, of repentance and reflection in, in light of God's promise to come and fix everything in us as well as everything that's in the world. And then to look back on all the prophecies that were, that were uh, forecasting Christ's coming for us and for the sake of the world. Something interesting that we read in Advent by Fleming Fleming Rutledge. Rutledge. Yeah. She, in her introduction, she... So this is Fleming Rutledge's book on Advent. Advent. Mm -hmm. It's an amazing book. Yes. Really is. So good. And in the introduction, she talks about how it really is about the past, the present, and the future, and the direction of our hearts and the time that we spend reflecting prior to Christmas. Right. It's totally different. It is. It very is. So a song like O Come, O Come, Emmanuel mm-hmm. is really appropriate at that. And lo, he comes with clouds, uh, with clouds descending. 
is um, is is appropriate to that time. Yes, and so speaking of the church calendar, there's really nothing in the New Testament describing Advent and celebrating Advent and the the practices. So how did this become something that Christians celebrated? It all goes back to the very slow process of the church recognizing that, look, there are there are a couple of different ways that we can order our sense of time. And one is to let the world order our sense of time. And the other is to seek to let the Lord number our days. And so in the spirit of the, the Jewish calendar that ordered time according to God's story of redemption, at the same time rep- recognizing that we, we don't need to be superstitious about this and carry over things in a legalistic way, mm-hmm. at some point the church goes, okay, Christ's coming in the middle of time makes everything different. And so we have before Christ and we have in the year of our Lord. And so there's this huge turning point in history. And now with Christ as the center of time, the Lord of all time, how do we let him shape our sense of time? And then the church starting to work back from Easter, the point of resurrection, Mm -hmm started to reflect on how our, our, our days can be numbered in, in, um, in light of, of who he is and what he came to do and what he intends to do. And so you work back from Easter to a time of preparation for that Lent. And then you go back to, uh, actually Christmas is the first thing you think of is, is Easter and then working back from that. And even Christmas, the center of gravity wasn't necessarily Christmas itself, but Epiphany and right. the manifestation of God's love for the nations. And kind of the a, a pivotal moment is when, uh, after Constantine is converted in the fourth century, and Christians are go into Jerusalem, and the the believers that were there all along begin to show, well, here's where this happened, and here's where that happened, and. And Christians could start imagining they're walking in the footsteps of Jesus. And so you have the the uh, the um, the Journal of Egeria uh, talking about people experiencing the Via Dolorosa, and so the the a certain concreteness of Jesus's life became more evident to people. And then you started to get a chance to work on our sense of how his resurrection shapes all the time. And so for, for me, that was, it's, it's kind of, it was really the last thing that, that pushed me over into the liturgical world. And that is the sense of time. And I realized I, I really need to live in a world where I pay attention to the athletic seasons. Um, I mean, I, I, my, I, my life takes on a different cast after, um, all-star break in the middle of the summer <laughs> yeah. and I start yeah. paying attention to who's really going to be able to play in the world series. And when I was at Duke, I was, uh, I went to wave and Mary, which wasn't a huge football powerhouse. So when I went to grad school, Duke was all ACC basketball. I was ministering <laughs> at a church yeah. at, in uh, Chapel Hill. And so the rivalry between UNC and Duke uh, over ACC basketball was like, I mean, there is a religious fervor about right. that. <laughs> 
And then for yeah. other people, it's it's NFL or, or other things, as well as the other ways in which our society asks us to number our days. And having, um, having a countervailing way of ordering my life, a certain rhythm that's spiritual as opposed to secular, has just given me a sense of equilibrium and ability to be above it all, whether my team's winning or losing or whether I'm doing really particularly well in, in other pursuits. I know that if I'm following the stream of Christ's life and letting that shape me, I have a better perspective on what's going on on the other side. Yeah. And I think you touched on something really important in the sense that the, the seasons that we go through, the seasons in our lives define a lot of who we are and what we value. Well, and people, I mean, even the weather, like it right. can be up or down, how things are going in my career, whether seasons pass in which I experience a certain loss and it just, it gets me down to have this other tug on my life to draw me out of uh, funks and to, and, and to give me a hope that's more than, more than what the world has to offer. Exactly. Yeah. And it's so central to like, whenever I talk to somebody about the church calendar, the the thing I want to say to them is you already have sort of a liturgical calendar in your life, whether it's your school year or when like new TV shows it's come anything. on. Right. There's Our, liturgy and everything. Exactly. Oh, is. Right. And so if you're already going to order your life around secular things, like when the new season of this is us comes out. <laughs> oh man. Or yeah. The game of Thrones. Was right. Just right. Determinative of people's, uh, de- people's lives. Right. Yeah. yeah. Let's let's order our lives around the the narrative of the gospels and the yeah. work of Christ and, and be shaped by that as the overarching thing. It's not right. that school seasons or TV shows are bad, but right. yeah. Well, and again, for me, it's what gives me a sense of balance and perspective and equilibrium where I can take the highs and lows that the rest of life has to offer. Well, because of the highs and lows of of the Christian year. Hmm. Roger Nicole was uh was a colleague at RTS. Um, he had retired to uh, to Orlando after uh, a long season of teaching at Gordon Codwell. He was uh, Swiss French, and Roger always wore two watches. One was Central Florida time, and the other watch was what time it is back in his home of um, French speaking Switzerland because he still had family over there and he just wanted to know what was going on in in both worlds at the same time and i think christians are like that we need to be we need to have a a watch on that tells us what time it is here but we also need to have the watch on that tells us where we are in christ's life Mm -hmm. and where we as all believers on the planet are who are seeking to follow the, the the christian story where we are in our journey with jesus through life so in so many ways advent is sort of that second watch um but it it points us back in that and and correct me if i'm wrong because i'm by no means an expert um, it points us back to Israel's longings and their their 
their plea, come thou long expected Jesus, this desire for redemption. And, and then we almost sort of look at that and go, just like Israel was waiting for the first coming of Jesus, we're waiting for the second coming of Jesus. Yes. And so we're entering into Israel's longing while we're also recognizing that we have a similar longing, almost for a greater hope, though. Is that fair? That's well said. Part of this is the continuity with our brothers and sisters who who were Jewish is to realize that as they have always been expecting, looking for the Messiah to come, we too are, though we though we do believe that the Messiah has come in the first place, there's still some significant unfinished business. And so their longing and anticipation for new new heavens and new earth is ours as well. Mm. So how have you here at the at the Cathedral Church of St. Luke, how have you seen celebrating Advent as something really valuable in the culture here? Well what's really nice here is that it's just part of the script. And for me, you know, an evangelical who's dis- discovered this, I've found out I don't have to make a lot of stuff up. I can right. just step up, step into, and be um, surrounded by uh, a rich heritage and tradition. And in the cathedral, what I've discovered is there's a certain naturalness about it. And a lot of that has to do with it's not just Advent and then Christmas, and then we're on to normal life. This Advent, the beginning of the Christian year, propels us through a rich 12 days of Christmas Mm -hmm. and then an epiphany and a season in which together we are exploring the wonder of Jesus' manifestation to to Jewish people and to Gentile people, to all people, leading us to a time of preparation, Lent, for Holy Week, in which we, we, we remember the horrible cost of our redemption and the wonder of his being at table with us, washing our feet and inviting us to wash his feet, uh, one another's feet in love, his his descent into the dead and is rising victoriously out of resurrection. And then the period of time in which he's around to teach his disciples and then his ascension and his sending the Holy spirit and then sending the, the church out uh, realizing that here there's just a natural sense that this is the springboard for that, that whole journey as opposed to kind of a one-off thing um, that makes it feel just organic. Right. Mm. Yeah, so it's it almost when you're following the whole Christian year, mm-hmm. Advent ties in more logically than if it's just something you kind of pluck out and go, we're right. going to do Advent and then we're going to just do some random stuff yeah, until next so Christmas. You, you're not you're not cherry picking, but right. you are um you know, a word that is really missing from western Christians vocabulary is submission. And it's it's a it's a submission to a way of being, a way of journeying with Jesus instead of cherry picking or just trying to shoehorn a little bit of Jesus into this part of my busy distracted life but it's let it's really trying to let him rule and govern all of life i'm i'm sure that we're going to have listeners who have seen the the advent 
the advent wreaths that they sell at Starbucks or at the Target calendars. or the calendars. And, and this is their first time being exposed to all of the actual themes of advent, that it's not just sort of a, it's not just diet Christmas, but it's something else. And, and maybe there'll be some people who are, are saying to themselves, how do, how do we get started? How do we, how do we begin to celebrate Advent? What does it look like to step into this season? So would you have any advice for them? Well, different people have different ways of going about reorient, reorienting themselves. For me, it was, it was um, a large part of it was reading. Um, and I, I would commend the book that, that you referenced before, Fleming Rutledge's Advent. Maybe a primer for that is Robert Weber's book, Time, which lays out the case for how we could reorient ourselves to reorienting time. And he does this really masterful meditation on themes of Advent, talking about I, uh, Isaiah and the three stages of Isaiah's uh, thinking and warning Israel about the judgment to come being prepared for in the first portion of Isaiah and then that from chapter 40 on through mid-50s about what God is going to do to come and rescue his people, and that's where you have the suffering servant um, songs. And then the last portions of Isaiah where he he looks forward to new heavens and new earth, and then he, he writes about John the Baptist and Mary and just seeing their larger significance. So between Rutledge's book and Weber's book, for people who are readers, other than that... Uh, if you know, uh, if you know a solid Anglican Episcopal Church or a Lutheran Church or even or, or a Catholic Church where you know that there is faith and just kind of jumping in and allowing yourself to experience like a lot of a lot of this. Well, some of us think our way through to things and others of us experience and some of us bring them both together. So I don't know. What have you guys what have you guys thought about? I mean, yeah, I think that for me, it's a lot of the thinking and a lot of the experience too. So I, well, and you're, like, you're a musical person. Uh-huh. So I think just to, for a person who like can play the piano or whatever, just taking some time mm-hmm. and going to the hymnal right. and pulling out the songs like come that long expected Jesus mm-hmm. and oh come, oh come Emmanuel and just spending time in these really rich texts and let them let them grab so that it's not to demean Christmas because I, I mean, I love the fact that um, I love the fact that that people are focused during what I would think of as Advent. They're mm-hmm. they're they they are focused in some way on someone breaking in and right. bringing joy in the midst of sadness and bringing hope in the midst of of despair. I would just, I would contend that Advent simply gives us all a chance to sit back and think about why that is so important. Hmm. And it, to me, it just makes it, it makes it all the richer. Yeah. There, there's almost this cultural impulse to jump the gun. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, I don't, were you in the office when we were having a discussion? It was like one of the staff meetings. When is it acceptable to start playing Christmas music? Oh yeah. <laughs> and there was like a massive debate in the office of some people say that as soon as, as soon as you hit November yeah, and others say time. once Thanksgiving happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the the Christian year says you, you play Christmas music when you've gotten to Christmas. 
mm-hmm. as opposed to jumping the gun and going away in a manger on November yeah. 25th. Right. And in a way, Advent is sort of countercultural in that sense. So how can it set us free from the, the seasonal trappings of that tendency? Simply by giving you a chance to slow down and reflect on why the coming is so so necessary. What are the longings in my heart, the unaddressed issues that he's come to address? And so it's just it it's simply a way of preparing uh, more more thoughtfully and more uh, more from the soul. I right. I don't want to rain on anybody's parade in this. I mean, I have friends that as soon as Thanksgiving Day is over, it's yeah. Christmas music and. I'm not there, and yet I have a friend who is a a police officer in another major city, and all year long, he's playing Christmas music on his radio because he needs to be reminded all year long as he goes from one tragic situation to another that Christ has come and he has taken our place. And I love that about the guy. And so I love being in the rhythm where I'm not necessarily going to do that, but I'm not going to say, gee, dude, that's wrong. You need to, you need to fix that. Yeah. I think there is something so important about that kind of, as we come to the end of the interview that, that although the Christian year orients us around the different events of Christ's life, we are experiencing the power of Christ's life every day. Um, every day Christ is, is raised. Every day uh, the Word has become flesh. And yet there's something about Advent uh, as it stumbles into Christmas that it gives us a distinctive reminder of what's always true. It says, pause. Here's why you need a Christmas. And prepare your heart once again to receive him all freshly and newly born for you. Amen. Reggie, thank you so much for sitting down with us. Oh, Mickey and Travis, thank you so much. It's an honor. Great to be with you. Hey, thanks so much for listening. This podcast is a resource from Baylife Church. And if you found it helpful, do us a favor and rate and subscribe. That helps us to get the word out. Be sure to tune in next time as we talk with Dr. Karen Ellis about the incarnation and what that means for human rights. For Baylife Church, I'm Travis Lowe, and this is The Stone Table. so excited about this episode and we hope you enjoyed it just as much as we did for Mickey for Mickey for Mickey on Bay Life Church <laughs> oh my god this might this might make it to the outtake at the end of the episode oh man